Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know, darling, you don't look gay. You don't come across as like you don't have manicured brows and <laughs> and like bleached hair, and you don't have like a bubble butt, and you're not. What like, are you talking? No, first of all, excuse a- me, excuse me. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Oh, I don't have a bubble butt. How dare you? you No, no, you haven't earned it. You haven't earned it. This is this is this is for fucking closers. This ass is for closers. All right. This is Hello, Isaac, my podcast about the idea of success and how failure affects it. I'm Isaac Mizrahi, and in this episode, I talk to podcast host, former presidential speechwriter, and Crooked Media co-founder, John Lovett. Hello, Isaac. It is John Lovett, not John Lovett's. I know you can't tell, but it's the gay one, even though you don't seem to recognize that my voice is gay enough for you. What am I supposed to do? Uh, Call me back? Today's guest is John Lovett, and he is this kind of media giant. You know, as far as I'm concerned, he really understands media. And the first time I ever met him was when I did his podcast called Love It or Leave It. And I was intrigued because it was such a disconnect between the person and the media star, right? And so today, what I really want to do is kind of close that gap even more. I want to find out about the person, John Lovett, who he really is, and how that affects his success. So let's get started. John Lovett, hi. Hi, good to see you. I Good to see you. You know, I have to tell you, I feel a little insecure about this because I feel like this is what you do all day long. And I want I want to be fascinating. Oh. You know, I want you to be fascinated. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I, I want this to be like outside of the realm of the other million podcasts that you work on. And I wonder like... <laughs> You're, Can yeah. you coach me a little bit? <laughs> Look, you're not like the other girls, all right? And I think oh, we all right. we all know that. And but you wake up fascinating. I'm prettier. I'm a little prettier than mm-hmm. most of the other girls. Which leads me to my first sort of question for you, which is 
you know, what are you? Like, how, 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 how do you identify, okay. darling? Because, no, seriously, like, you're a speech writer. Mm-hmm. You used to write speeches, right? You're a writer. You're a podcaster. Mm-hmm. You have a media company. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your identity. What are you is a very funny first what are question. You, hey, what are you? <laughs> uh, so exactly. that's a, you know, it's interesting. Like, I feel insecure about calling myself a comedian, even though I do a comedy show live every week. I feel insecure about calling myself a writer because every couple of years I say, I'm a writer again, and then I don't finish what I started. I love hosting podcasts. I am a podcast host. That's probably what I would say first now. I was a presidential speechwriter, though, to call yourself the thing you did before the three other things you've done since feels a little like living in the past, like a, an Olympic right. silver medalist walking into the bar wearing the medal going, this old thing, yeah. <laughs> you know? Right, except it was a really important job. I mean, and, and it kind of got you somewhere. Yeah. Let's start talking about your history a little bit, okay? First of all, where are you from? I was born in New York. I grew up on Long Island. Actually, so. actually George Santos's district is where I grew up. <gasps> right, which is now, I'm so happy to report, Tom Swazi's Tom's district, Democrats took it to, back. From, so happy to say. Um, from world-famous astronaut George Santos. Well, <laughs> noted philanthropist. at least for the next seven months. Right, right, Until he right. has to run again. But, um, all right, so you're from Long Island. Mm-hmm. Were you into musical theater or something? Like, did you play comedy? Did you do it? Did no. Did you go I, I didn't clubs? do anything like that. I, I really struggled. I, looking back on it, I think that so much of what for me, being a kid was about was like, I don't know exactly how to be myself, but I know how to get an A on a test. I know how to do all the extracurriculars. I know how to take a standardized test and get into the colleges. And so if I'm not going to be happy, I'm going to be successful. And so I think that right. is really what drove me. And and so I, I liked politics, and but I viewed politics as a way to, you know, win a speech and debate tournament to put that on my resume. And I liked music, but that was, again, just a way to kind of prove that I was the best little boy in the world. So it really wasn't until I think I came out of my shell in college and after that I started to think, oh, like, I love doing this. I love writing about politics. I love the intersection of politics and comedy and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what that would mean. I didn't know, but I knew that that was something I, I enjoyed doing. Let's talk about your parents for a second. Were they worried? Because I, like, I was a really kind of motivated kid. You mm-hmm. know, I like went to drama school. I went to performing arts. I, then I went to design school. Then I got a job. That, you know, so it was like obvious that I had this kind of rollout of a lot of different jobs. And when you were born, like exist. nobody even, there wasn't the blush of podcast hosts. So like, did your parents think you were slacking? Yeah, I mean, I was always ambitious. And, you know, my, my parents were always very proud. I always did very well in school. I was always successful in that way. And I think when like I left college and I was kind of doing open mics in New York City and maybe going to be a lawyer and volunteering on political campaigns, I think that there was like a moment where there was some concern that I was off the rails. But soon after that, I get a job in politics. I end up becoming a, a junior speechwriter for Hillary Clinton and I was sort of on my way. And my mother worked as a buyer for a department store. My father ran the box factory my grandfather started. And wow, the box factory. Box factory. Man, that is superior packaging. That's a great title for something the box factory. The box know, factory. Yeah. yeah. But I sort of found my own way. And I feel like my parents always thought, oh, you know what? Whatever happens, 
I'm going to be okay, that I'll make my way, I'll make my success. And, and when I left politics to become a comedy writer, I think, again, they had their kind of Jewish parent worry, but it became mm-hmm. a show. And when that started foundering, I found the podcasting and, and they don't worry about me. Right. But, I, you know, I'm kind of like thinking about the essence of this. I'm trying to go back deep into the essence. What do you major in in college to become you? I you majored know? in was math. Was it relevant? It wasn't relevant. I really? loved math. I went relevant. to Williams College okay. in Massachusetts what? and I loved math because it's not a lot of reading. <laughs> the books uh-huh. are very thin. Oh my God, you're crazy. But, you know, when I was a kid, as much as I did well in school, if there was something I didn't like to do, I just wouldn't do it. That's how I was. If I liked something, I would go full bore. I would pay attention. I would focus. I would learn everything about it. I had an intensity to it. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't, I just couldn't find the attention uh, to make it happen. Uh, you know, I'm one of many who has self-diagnosed using TikTok with ADHD, but whatever. So right. I loved math because it wasn't how much you consumed. It wasn't about how much you read. It wasn't how many facts you had in your mind, it was the hard work the hard of understanding right. a problem that could be on one mm-hmm. page and you could stare at one page for two hours. And either you get it or you don't. Math is not something you can kind of understand. If you've gotten to the end of a chapter and you can't explain it back, you can't do the problems, you can't do the proofs, you can't do the exercises, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. You don't have it. And so right. I really like the the logic of it, the rigor of it, and the kind of forced focus of it. And I do think math, it does make you smarter. It makes you think in a a different way. And now you have this incredible media company, Crooked Media, Mm -hmm. right? And that is the producer of several incredible podcasts, including the one that I was on called Love It or Love It or Leave It. Mm -hmm. Was there a big break in that or something? Yeah, well, so I had been a speechwriter in the Obama White House. Two of my friends, John Favreau, Tommy Vitor, and a fourth, Dan Pfeiffer, he had been communications director for Obama. John had been chief speechwriter. Tommy had worked for the national security advisor doing kind of foreign policy press as a spokesperson. And we all had gone our different ways after leaving politics But in the run-up to the 2016 election, we end up doing this podcast basically as a hobby, as sort of disaffected and frustrated news consumers, just watching it from our point of view as people that had been in politics, helping people through what they were watching of of Clinton versus Trump. And after Trump won, which we were uh, completely surprised by, Tommy and John and I were driving to a studio to do a day after episode. And my car ran out of gas in front of the CNN building. I just hadn't been paying attention. I was so, I think, overwhelmed <laughs> by events. So we push my car to the side of the road, call a tow truck. We start walking to the studio in Los Angeles. And as we're doing it, we're really starting to think about that, that we didn't want to go back to our old jobs, that we wanted to figure out some way to keep doing a podcast and think about what progressives who were at that point were in shock and sad and scared and frustrated and furious mm-hmm where they could put that energy, like where could they put that sense of outrage? And so we started talking about launching uh, a new podcast and uh, a progressive media company around it based on the idea that there were a lot of people out there that wanted to know how they could help, in part because people were texting us. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And we didn't know. So, so it was like an intention. You actually, while walking from the tow truck to the studio, you were putting it together. You were like, oh, let's form a media company. You actually made an effort to form a media company and succeeded at that. Yeah, I, I think we were blessed by ignorance in that we had no idea how hard it was yeah. to start a media company. We had yes. no idea what we didn't know. We had no mm-hmm. business plan. We had no business experience, really. 
And so all we really had was this idea that there were going to be a lot of people who felt like we did, who were going to be Mm -hmm. looking for an outlet that was about not just what had gone wrong, but what everybody could do to come together and put their anxiety into action, to to find a way to be activists. Mm -hmm. And so in January of 2017, we launched Crooked Media. At that point, what was it? It was a checking account we started at the Bank of America on San Vicente. It was a statement announcing the company and it was a new podcast. That's really what we had going into it. And we thought, all right, we give it, let's give ourselves a couple months to see if we can rebuild the audience we had when we were at The Ringer. And if we can do it in a couple months, six months, maybe we'll really have something. And the audience mm-hmm. was back in a matter of day, weeks, if not days. Wow. And it grew beyond that what we had had in the previous, previous uh, in the election. It became even bigger. And we said, okay, mm-hmm. wow, we have something here. Let's see what we can build. And, and that we started looking for people uh, almost immediately who could actually help build a company because we knew what we could do. We could talk about politics. We could host and we can post, <laughs> but we needed people right. who actually understood what it would look like to build a real media company. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I talk a lot about this with guests, mm-hmm. which is this idea of failure, you know, was there some incredible failure either after you started Crooked Media or before that kind of shaped the way you thought about what you wanted to do or something? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think my the way I would talk about this has changed even in the last couple of years. I, I do think I have more perspective on it now than I did then. And, and what I've come to realize, you'll turn on the news and you'll see people that have spent their whole lives in politics. And, and you say to yourself, why are they like that? <laughs> they seem so broken. They seem like they don't mm-hmm. really understand their own motivations. They seem like they're obsessed with the wrong things. It seems like they're too inside. And the reason it seems like that is because they are. And I feel like I was somebody like that. I graduate from college. I'm almost immediately in politics. And right. I'm very fortunate to get this job as a speechwriter for Hillary Clinton. I'm very fortunate to get this job as a speechwriter for President Obama. I decide I want to leave and pursue comedy. I move out to Los Angeles, again, in the kind of just always working, not really examining my motivations at all. I end up getting to make a television show right when I got here. So lucky, so lucky. Like if I say it to people, they're just fucking furious at me. Because what do you mean you just made a television show? Well, we pitched an idea. NBC wanted to make it. I got to make a TV show right when I got out here. I got to learn on the fly of actually making a TV show called 1600 Pen. And now I'm making a sitcom barely a few months after leaving the White House. The hope I'd had to be able to kind of reflect or take a break or think about what I wanted to do was gone. We make this show every year. I learn an incredible amount. I feel way in over my head. I react the way a 29 or 30 year old does when they feel in over their head, which is try to fake it till I make it rather than asking for help. And then all of a sudden the show airs. Now, critics hated it. But audiences also didn't watch it. And that's oh, really. Pretty, that's, pretty. So that's. So nobody liked it. Right. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Now, 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 what I would say is it just became a cult classic faster than we had planned, but it was canceled <laughs> after one season. And all of a sudden, you know, I've moved to Los Angeles. The Hillary job into the Obama job into the TV writing job has gone quiet. And now I'm like sitting in this, this apartment in West Hollywood and I have no idea what I'm doing there. I have no idea why I'm there. And it was really the first time I'd ever even taken a moment to think not, how can I be successful? How can I achieve something that looks good, that gives me the, the plaudits and credit and, and sense of acclaim that's so important to me because I, I don't have a lot of esteem for myself? 
but what do I actually want to do? And the answer is I had no idea. I really didn't. I really was kind of lost after that. Can we stay there for a second? Sure. Because I often think it's so important for people to like sit in the feelings of, like, for instance, you said you didn't have a lot of self-esteem. Was there some kind of emotional strength that you drew upon when it was completely quiet that made you go, oh, you know what? I'm okay in LA. I like my house. I like my dog. I can function. I like math. I can go back to me. I mean, besides like freak out and be scared at the age yeah. of 30 or 31, what did you do? Well, I, I actually, I wish that I could say it was something as I think kind of productive as what you're describing. But I actually think what I did was just sort of ignore the problem for a while, right? Like, don't face <laughs> denial, these feelings. Darling. Don't face these <laughs> denial, feelings. Denial, denial, denial. Yeah. Well, there's a great book by Steve Martin called Born Standing Up. And there's a line in it that I'm going to paraphrase, if not butcher, that I always think about, which is delusions of grandeur can get you between moments of genuine inspiration. And I do think nice. that, you know, you're sitting in a duplex apartment with a, just the, the cheapest furniture you bought when you moved and had no money. You know, you'd never been in this city before. You didn't pick the neighborhood you would have picked in if you'd lived there even a few months. Right. And yeah. all I assumed at that moment was, well, making a TV show is pretty easy. Why don't I just make another? And so, <laughs> and so you know, you start thinking, oh, what's the next pitch? Well, I can put my feelings aside, maybe to a fault, and then think, all right, well, what's next? If I want more success, if I want to come back, if I want to figure out how to have the career I believe I deserve, well, what's next? Well, figure out the next pitch. And even if I was depressed and even if I was sad and even if I didn't know what I was doing there, even if I didn't even like what I was doing, even if I struggled to write something, you tell me I've got to take this pitch and sell it, right. I will bring the intensity and jokes and effort and like of course. focus. Yes, obviously you are a determined individual. And that is really smart, what Steve Martin says about delusions of grandeur and faking it until you actually have the inspiration. But I'm not even talking about like inspiration because, you know, we are all very inspired artists, but there are people that we have to collaborate with. Even we have bosses, right? We have to get them to see stuff. And sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with us, you know? Yeah. It has to do with like the outside world that is offering them better business deals you know, to do with the same product as, you know, I'm laying it out there. I'm laying out like the scariest, scariest scenario that you think about at three o'clock in the morning in your head, you know? And the reason I bring this up is because I think of you as this incredibly successful and young person, right? Do you have imposter syndrome? And uh, yes, how do you get over that? I too? do. I do feel as though I have imposter syndrome. And also I referred to myself as a podcast host, maybe a writer, maybe a comedian. Look, I feel very fortunate that Crooked Media exists, but I, I, I do believe it exists because I think we had a, a, a good instinct as to the kind of shows that people might respond to. We were also in the right place in the right, right. time. And we were very lucky to have very smart people who helped biz build this business and build a, a sustainable progressive media company that was strong enough and careful enough to not fall prey to what a lot of other media companies have fallen prey to. So I feel very fortunate about that, but I do feel like an imposter if I try to take credit for that. Now, I think one part of it for me, if I'm gonna try to take your question at face value is, I sometimes think of myself a little bit like Cortez burning the ships. That like, when I moved to LA, I didn't, have, didn't think, oh, and if it doesn't work out, I'll move back. I really didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that contingency. 
I just had to move here and I had to fight and fight and fight until I figured out a way to make it work. When we launched Crooked Media, yeah, we talked about, oh, let's, we'll see how we're doing in six months. And yeah, I think probably intellectually, I would have thought, and if it doesn't work out, I can try to write a script. But day to day, week to week, didn't think about it. Didn't think about that timeline. Didn't think about what would happen if it all went wrong. I just didn't put my mind to it. I didn't think about it. And, you know, there's so much luck. There's so much luck, especially in entertainment. There's so much luck in life. There's so much luck in entertainment. In a mm -hmm. field in which there's tons and tons and tons of talented people uh, competing to do the craft they love. And a lot of those talented people don't get the opportunity that, that another person does that makes a career, right? We, they, that's life. That's how it works. Right. So mm -hmm. there's no way to guarantee your success, but I do think that there are certain ways to guarantee failure. And one thing I notice over the years is that, you know, real medicine treats one thing. Fake medicine treats everything. You know, you take Advil yeah. for, for headaches. You take posies for anything you want, yeah. you know? Like uh, homeopathic yeah. remedies, it is amazing. There's nothing they can't do, right? And I think that that sometimes can be true in a career, which is making it is difficult no matter what. It's especially difficult if you're trying a bunch of different things because either you don't want to choose or you, you don't want to admit that you have to choose. And as hard as it can be, I think sometimes the best way to, to give yourself the best shot is to focus all your efforts and all your attention in one direction to see if it works. Because if your attention is divided, if you're trying to be a, a musician and a writer and a comic and a director, mm -hmm. if you're trying to do all these different things at once, because you love them all, you care about them all, and you want one of them to take, mm -hmm. uh, you might not be putting yourself in a position to learn and gain the skills you need and, and the growth you need in the one direction that is maybe the most likely place uh, for you mm -hmm. to succeed. Yeah. Wow. I have to say that is powerful, you know? Mm. It's powerful because I do a lot of different things, you know? I perform, I make clothes, and I write. And I fought this my whole life. I had teachers who told me that I needed to pick, pick one. And then I had one teacher who said, you know, fuck them, do whatever the hell you want to do, whatever feels right, you know? Um, and so, But I do think you might be on to something, at least in terms of like, as I get older, I realize uh, it's not that I can't do everything. I don't want to do everything. I want to focus more, you know? I think if people have multiple paths and interests, they should pursue them. And by the way, the rules may, no, may to course, be broken. Of course, but, of course. but here's what I would say. Like, you know, I host Love It or Leave It on Thursdays. We do Pod Save America Mondays. I record a bunch of other things throughout the week. That's a choice mm -hmm. I've made to do a bunch of different things. My week is filled with a bunch of interesting different kinds of shows and, and kinds of work. And I really like that. I like that we do Vote Save America, which is our effort to organize people around politics and the election. We, we wrote a book mm -hmm. doing all of these things. If it would be a lie to say that some parts of this doesn't suffer because of attention being divided. Like, you know, you are able to do a lot of different things. There's no way in which being a designer is getting the best of you when you're also being a host. No and way. Being, it's just not. So there's the way in which pursuing different things might limit your ability to be successful. There's a way in which pursuing different things is just a division of your mental energy and creativity and, yeah. and intelligence. You can't pretend otherwise. People can't multitask. It's a myth. Me. 
Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon Serum. This next-generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf Stem Cell Technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Do you have a big ego, you think? Do you guys think I have a... Everyone in the studio is laughing. That sucks. No, no, I want to talk about that because I often think like when you can take the whole subject of ego out of things and just do what feels good and not care so much about, you know, about results or something like that, you know, I often think that's when you really do kind of find love and find inspiration, you know, when you eliminate ego. But let's talk about you for a minute now, specifically, and the fact that I swear to God, I swear to God, John, even knowing your podcast, even knowing stuff about you, when I met you, I had no idea that you were gay. I swear what to God, fuck? I had no idea. What do you mean? I did not know, you know what that the, you were a gay man. What's fine? Are you a gay man? Uh, yes, I am. I am. Is I, that how you identify? You identify it, as a podcaster and, and a, a gay, gay man. I would say this is just being honest about it, which is when I was growing up, and, and I, I, this is true when you were growing up, the menu was shorter. There wasn't much of a menu in our. If yeah. I knew I wasn't straight, I knew right. I wasn't straight from 12, 13 years old. And so if I wasn't straight, I was gay. That was what was available to me. The, the The difference between gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation simply didn't exist to me. It was not something I was aware of. Yes, there were people writing about it and thinking about it, and there were parts of the culture where people were starting to talk about that more, but it was not available to me. And so I was gay, mm-hmm. and that's where I'm at, and that's what I continue to be. But do I think that if I was growing up now, I would call myself gay? I don't know that I would. I think that I have a wow. Me I, too. I, I, feel I think the same that I would way, but... probably just redound to calling myself queer, a word that I 
even struggle to ascribe to myself because as much as I don't want to feel it, it still carries a feeling that makes it not feel right for me because of the the baggage it carries, but not because I don't think it better describes how I feel about sexual orientation and gender. Right. And so that's how I feel about it. Right. I mean, you know, when you talk about your coming up and my coming up, it's completely different because I think I'm like 20 years older than you or something. That I don't want to acknowledge. I don't want to think about that, but okay. it's true. And so your experience is different than mine. I'm not going to say mine was harder or easier or something, but you know, darling, um, you don't look gay. You don't come across as like, you don't have manicured brows and <laughs> and like bleached hair and you don't have like a bubble butt and you're not What like, are you talking? No, First of all, the, darling, I have a, there excuse a, me. <laughs> excuse me. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Oh, I don't have a Maybe bubble do butt. How dare Wait, you? See. Can you stand no, up? And no, turn you around? haven't earned it. You haven't earned it. This is oh, this is this wow, is for wow, fucking wow, closers. Wow. This ass is okay, for closers. Darling. All right, darling. All right. I will remember that. I will yeah, remember that. That's right. But there is this kind of like majority of gay men, especially you're from New York. Mm -hmm. Especially you know that there is like one area in Chelsea where it all kind of emanates from. And I'm not saying this as like to reduce the experience of something, but I'm telling you like most of the gays, the ones that I watched and uh, that I admired growing up that I didn't fit in with, you know, like mm -hmm. I would go to bars and I would feel like really, really out of place. And, you know, now I look at like gay cruises or something and everybody's in like angel in a jockstrap. That's the theme of the night, angel in a jockstrap mm -hmm. or something. Now, granted, there was many nights where I was very transgressive and I did go to my share of like foam parties or something, yeah. you know. But it wasn't the same. It was not this kind of majority of the majority, right? You're not either. I don't see you as this like majorly major. That's not the first thing you see about you. Well, you know? no. I, well, I think it is hard to know the difference between the way that I am gay or queer is exactly the right way because as this is how I am. I am those things. This is what it means to be gay. The way that I am gay is what it means to be gay because I am gay and so this is how I am going to do it. Now, I think that's a big part of it and then there's a lot of gay people that don't feel comfortable in those settings. But what I also do think it's hard to tell the difference between is what I just said, that sort of this is who I am and this is what I'm like and I don't fit in with this kind of a crowd all the time. Once in a while too, I'll have a night. Or have I internalized a, a form of homophobia and not just homophobia, but but a form of self-loathing self beyond self sexual yeah. orientation yes, that made me yes, feel I uncomfortable I being feeling free enough not just to be gay but just to be effervescent flamboyant not in a sexual way or even a, hom a homosexual way but just to be in a big loud take-up space shirt off mindset right. it just was so anathema to me based on how I felt about myself for so long. So I don't know. I don't know the difference. Based on based on what? Like the genes or something? Or based on I think it, what your parents told you or what? I think based on the kind of Long Island Jewish culture that was much more about, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up than mm -hmm. what do you like to do? And when you talked earlier about how you would identify now if you had a bigger menu, I think about that all the time, yeah. you know? And, you know, when I perform, I sometimes I wear like sparkles and ruffles and things and pearls. And I feel like 
am I an imposter in this or am I realer than I ever was in my entire life just wearing black t-shirts, you know? I know. And it's um, really so, hard. I, you know, I thought about this a lot during the pandemic. And the analogy that that made sense to me was, you know, there'll be paths on a college campus between dorms and they'll be very perpendicular. And then the snow will fall and then people will walk where they want to walk and they'll make what are called desire paths. And those paths will look very different because absent the society lines that were drawn for them, people figure out a new way that they want to walk. And even if you think, I want to take the diagonal, it's hard when you see the lines. It is, it's hard when you see the lines. And so for me, like the pandemic was this moment where I was stuck in my house. Society is much further away, much smaller. And then when I came out of that, I thought, you know, actually there are parts of my identity that I don't feel like I've been exploring. I want to wear more feminine clothing. I have an image of myself that I haven't been totally honest about. And I think that did give me permission to think about this. You know, you talk about putting aside ego. I mean, this is, I think, part of it, right? Really, when you say put aside ego, what it often means is put aside what other people think of you, which is very hard to do yes. because your identity I know. Is, is wrapped up in how other people think of you and how other people think of you matter because we don't live in a, in, on an island. We do live amongst people and how people see us is important to us. Well, for you, it was COVID. And for me, I wrote a memoir. And as I was writing the memoir, I thought, you know, if someone gave me the choice of identifying as a gay male or some kind of trans kind of, because I, I think I do have that somewhere in me. I have such intense shame about my body. I cannot tell so you, John. I know. Such intense Love shame. it. My name is No Love matter it. how thin I am. John. Oh, I can't call you John. You did. You said John Favreau. Oh, well, because I want to bring up John Favreau because oh. I know him and I love him. He is one of the sweetest, most darling people in the world, I think, that I've ever met. But I'm sorry, I called you Favreau because I wrote it down here. Yeah, yeah. I have Favreau written No, I'm just saying do it. So yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah. So we were talking about if I was 40 years younger and you were like 20 years younger, would we be gay men? Would we be doing that, you know? I think it is so hard. I've talked about this on the show a fair amount too. And it's something that like I, I, mm. I like talking about because I think a lot of other people have a similar difficulty kind of parsing, which is the space between a general dysmorphia around your appearance as some kind of, ver some version of a gender dysmorphia. And what I realized for a long time is there was so often the reason I decided say not to wear a skirt on stage. It wasn't because I mm -hmm. felt uncomfortable wearing a skirt. It was because once the skirt was on, I would have to be honest that in the skirt, I don't look the way I want to look. Not in a gendered way, right. but right. that, that but just, like, I don't yeah. want to change my gender. I want abs. <laughs> and if I can't, you <laughs> right, know what I mean? I and if I can't exactly, wear the skirt darling, with abs, yes. I don't want to do it at all. I'd rather you. hide in the you. jeans. I'd rather hide in the clothing in which I feel yep. safe and comfortable and unobtrusive and not yes. interesting then wear something well, interesting. You know what? It's about the way you look at yourself in the mirror and what you kind of want to see versus what you actually do see, you yeah. know? And that's what I love about that generation is they can take all of that bullshit that we've learned about what our abs are supposed to look like and what our tits are supposed to look like and what our closer butts are supposed to look yeah. like. You know, they've taken all of that and they've reestablished what it means to them. And earlier you were saying, and I love this thing, you were saying about like, look, this is who I am as a gay man and that's why it works because this is who I am. I can't do it any other way, yeah. you know? And I feel like that's how everybody is dealing with their sexuality. Now, darling, 
Tell me about the politics. Tell me about the benefits. Is there something great about being a gay person in media today? (laughs) I don't know. I've not gotten to try the other side of it. You know, it's funny because you said to me, I didn't realize you were gay. And I, I do think when I'm talking about politics, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm like, you know, doing a straight voice. But I think for whatever reason, when I'm talking about the news, my voice gets a little less lyrical. It gets a little less musical. Mm -hmm. It gets a little bit straighter. Like if we were in person, I feel like the lilt would come in and almost like, it's almost at times it's like, oh, you have to remind me. Oh my God, I should be, I should be, I should go full gay on this thing. But, but it is interesting, right? Because I, I don't, I only have my perspective. I get to do this. I'm a gay person. This is what I do as a gay person. But do I think some internally, I know that when I'm talking about the news, I do it with a slightly less affected voice than when, say, I'm joking about the Oscars when I'm on Love It or Leave It. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like everybody probably does that, not just gay people. Yeah. You know, I mean it. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, But, you know, getting back to this idea that you have partners, right? And mm-hmm. John Favreau is one of them. Mm-hmm. And who is the other one? It's Tommy. V- we. It's John Favreau and Tommy Vitor and Dan Pfeiffer co-host Pod Save America. But John and Tommy and I, we started the company together. Okay. And, and are you gay and they're not? That's right. Right. And so how does that work? Does that put you at an advantage? Does it put you <laughs> at a disadvantage? I, I don't know. Like, no, it's, it's interesting. I, I think it's, um, I think it does give me a, a, a different perspective, but also I, I, I think we make it work in part because I get to be almost like <laughs> the kind of like impish gay brother at the table, you know, like they, yeah. they have their ways of relating to each other that aren't totally accessible to me all the time. But then I have this other point of view that mm-hmm. I think shakes them a little bit. And I also do think like comedy <laughs> does this, but also being gay does this. It gives you a little bit of permission to be a bitch, you know? You can go a little bit further and sometimes it'll get you into trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, you know, you can kind of like lean back in your chair a little and be a little acerbic and uh, that's gay culture. That's so funny. It's so funny that you're saying that because I never, of all of my exposure to you and your podcast, I never find that you do that. I don't think you work that angle. (laughs) Well, I should. I thought I did. Wait, darling, I especially don't get that as a kind of result of your being, you know, uh, gay. Well, by the way, I don't think right. I direct it towards them. I think I direct it at guests or the news. You know, there have been moments where, you know, like we interviewed Pete Buttigieg and I kind of made some like joke about pride <laughs> with some innuendo that did not right. totally work, where I kind of feel like I only could do that, right? Because, you know. Right, you're both gay. We're both gay. Right, that's, we love Pete Buttigieg. We I love, love Pete. Him. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. 
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So let's talk for a minute about social media because it's very, very intertwined in what you do. And yet I just went to find you on Instagram and there's no verified. Is there? I have not verified on Instagram. I've taken myself off of Twitter or X, nay Twitter. I have a TikTok account, but I don't post there. Crooked media posts. I've sort of pulled back. I have pulled back. That's mm-hmm. probably to my detriment in some ways, but I found it was Elon Musk that was one of his many last straws. There was one last straw that was a last straw for me. And I took myself off of Twitter. I just slowed to a crawl or basically not posting at all on Instagram. I consume TikTok. And honestly, that's plenty. I don't need it. I don't need it. No, I I don't. I I know, except what you do is so connected to that algorithm for one thing. So first of all, we have an incredible team at Crooked Media that does a ton of posting of our shows and of our content and of our videos and of our merch and of our touring schedule and all the rest. And I can share that and like repost that from time to time. But why are we on social media? And, you know, what does it do for us and and what do we do for it? And on the what it does for us question, I I think Twitter was very valuable to me early on, especially when I left D.C. I moved to L.A. I'm writing TV shows. I'm a little bit outside of politics. I can talk about politics and I can have a voice in a way that that I think sort of reminds people like, hey, I'm a funny person. I have funny things to Mm -hmm. say. You can invite me on your show. You can think of me for whatever this project. I think that that was useful where it has been much less useful, especially in recent years, is the idea that social media is how you build an audience for a podcast or video shows, it just doesn't seem to translate. And, you know, I think it was NPR that took themselves off of Twitter and found 
it had barely any impact on their audience. There was so little conversion. What, how do you promote the podcast if not on social media? Well, so first of all, we do post videos. We post it on YouTube. I think videos on Instagram, uh, like okay. I'm glad we're getting that stuff out there. And I think it's really useful to have us out there. The company can post that, we can share it and people can see it. I think there's value to having our content what Crooked Media makes, what our shows make. I think it's useful to put that into the world, both because I think it brings in audience at times, but also just to have that message and have our content kind of be in the soup of the algorithm. That I think is really, really important. I personally don't want to participate in it as much anymore because the ben- right. the cost benefit ratio just is just not, I think, where I need it to be to justify the damage it does to your soul to participate right. in it. Man, this is a heavy, heavy conversation that you're bringing. I mean, really... <laughs> Really heavy because it's not just, you know, teenage people that get destroyed, but it's also like, hello, old queens like me. Where's that GoFundMe page, darling? <laughs> you know, to help for, for the help for me. So I don't, seriously. I don't, yeah, it's, you know, well, part of it too is it's like I, so I'm on, um, I'm on Manjaro, uh, the weight loss drug. No, uh, because for me, it was, yes, it was about losing some weight and it was vain and it was not medically necessary. However, it quieted the noise in my mind. Where well, whether fuck you. Well, well listen. I mean, well, let me let me and and so whether fuck you. and 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 yeah, fuck me. And so the value of it for me was, yeah, I lost some weight, but I also like it helped me like kind of take control of this issue where I always felt guilty. Like when I first went on this drug, and I had like one sushi roll and I felt full, I felt guilty, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, every time you've been full in your entire adult life. Every single day, you felt every guilty. Every day. Every yes. day guilty. Every time you ate. Yes, every you felt, fucking day. Every fucking day you felt guilty. And now you can learn that that guilt and that feeling of being full don't need to be connected. They never did, but now they certainly don't. And the reason I say this is because there are so many societal problems that are vast and hard. And then we ask individuals to use discipline and sacrifice to overcome them. We tell you we're gonna fill the food, the restaurants with junk and the and the and the stores with junk, and you need to be disciplined to not eat. It's gonna be cheap and available everywhere, and you've got to be disciplined. We're gonna tell you that the climate is on fire, and you need to be disciplined, and you need to fix it yourself. You need to do the right thing, otherwise you should feel ashamed. And and by the way, we're gonna make your phone an endorphin machine that drips serotonin directly into your brain, that puts sort of satisfaction right to your dome whenever you want it, 24 hours a day. But if you're on it too much, you're gonna get sad, you're gonna get lonely, you're gonna get depressed, gonna ruin your life. So you better show discipline. And the Manjaro to me, it was a reminder that, oh, you know what? We need to stop putting on people's shoulders self-discipline to address societal harms. And when it comes to social media, it is so unfair that we say to everyone, this stuff is bad for you. If you're doing it too much, you will want to do it too much. It will take up your free time and you don't have free time, but good luck. We made it addicting. Get yourself off of it. Huh. And that sucks. Right. That sucks. I and know, so it sucks, darling. It really sucks. It really sucks. But I have to say, like, you know, I'm not placing a value on this or a judgment on this. You know, I am resisting Manjaro and those things because I feel like that's, again, it's about discipline, but it's in another way. I feel like, I should be able to kind of, especially at my age, and I am able to say like, you know what? Maybe don't look at your phone right now. Maybe don't look at this right now. Maybe, you know, the book is really good that you're reading. Go back to the book. You know, I mean, I do that. I think that that is great. And if that's something that can work for you, I think that that's great. But I I, I feel like people need to be 
more generous with themselves. Also, like there is this sort of American kind of capitalist, Calvinist yes. idea that if yes, you have a problem that's big for you, it has to be hard for you to fix it. Because if it's not hard, it's right. you're cheating in some way. There's this idea that there's no such thing as a free lunch. And that's true in an economy. That's true in, in, in a deal. That's true if somebody's yeah. offering you something on the street, but it's not true in medicine. It's not true. In, no, not it's not true in science necessarily. Yeah. Not necessarily. Right. Not necessarily. Right now, yeah. look, is, is there possible that a, that a year from now they're taking these things off the shelves because you know my pancreas falls out? Possible, possible. But <laughs> no, I'll, that's fine. But I'll be. Honestly. But I'll die thin. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> wow, whoa! As Jackie Gleason would say. <laughs> hey, listen. Yeah. Um, are you with anybody right now? Are you single? Are you I'm, with somebody? I'm, uh, uh, I am not with anybody right now. Personally, okay. Are you in the market? Do you want me to pimp for you a little bit? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, listen. I, here's, All yeah, right. okay. I Ooh. guess, yeah, for sure. Fine. Yeah, I guess. You have an idea, sir. I might. I just got an idea, but I'm going to give it a minute. All to right. Yeah. Let's develop. And you know what? I got to tell you something. The the one thing that I that has happened to me over the last couple of years is someone will say, "Oh, you know who you should date? My friend Josh. My friend Derek." And then then I say, "Okay," and then I never hear about it. And it's like, hey. Don't tell yeah, me no, about no. somebody, then go to them, get the no from them, and then never bring it up again. You don't <laughs> no, well, come to me. Better. I don't no, want okay. anybody. I don't, come, I don't want to fucking to hear Fuck an idea unless you've got, I want it baked. You bring me All done right. deals. Right. I don't want people that okay, aren't interested. Darling. I have enough self-esteem wow. issues as it is. I got enough. I, oh yeah, no, I check. Yeah, no, it's so busy. No, no, you know no, what I mean? I would never do that. Thank you're, you. you're the second person I'm coming Hell yeah. to for sure. That's right. For sure, for sure, for sure. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. 
Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Speaking of who you are as a person, personally, right? Mm -hmm. I ask everybody this question because I'm obsessed with obituaries. Like, do you know what you want your obituary to be about? I think to our earlier conversation, I've never thought about it for even a second until this moment. Not even a second. Uh, How are you Jewish from Long Island and you have never thought about like... I just... And in the media... And by the way, you know probably your obituary is already written. (laughs) And somebody's good. Like if you die tomorrow, they've got it ready and they'll tweak it and they'll go, yeah, he's on Majoro, but that was the one thing we didn't know. (laughs) For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I just... Yeah, I don't know. I don't have that gene. I don't think about that. I don't think that way. I think that um, I kind of careen through existence a little bit. And I find that if I spend a little too much time thinking about the choices I made, the things I've said, the mistakes I've made, the the ways in which I put my foot in my mouth, I think that I couldn't go on. So I just keep going forward and I try not to, I try not to look, I'm like the coyote halfway across the canyon, you know, yeah. all I just so don't look down. So wait a minute. So if somebody says, okay, then we're not going to give you an obituary in the times, forget about it. You're not going to get one. You would be like, fine, I don't care. Well, I didn't say I don't want the fucking obituary. You're asking me. I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't <laughs> thought right, about it. Do okay. I want to be? That's yeah. All I, like, not only do I want an obituary, like I want a full page and I want a tracer on the front page. Like I want, I need it to yeah, be like Yeah, for a sure. Moment, no, yeah. Know? Oh, are you saying, am I an egomaniac? Yeah, we're, yeah, sure. I would like the <laughs> two page spread. I'd like, the, I'd like the schools to close. Okay, so Majoro egomaniac. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to cast, I'm trying to yeah, s- no. set you up with somebody. That's great. Obviously. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Darling, tell me what you want to promote. So, We wrote a book, it's called Democracy or Else, with John, Tommy, and I, and it is a funny, useful, one thing I'm really proud of is it manages to be actually funny, but without being cynical, which is a really hard thing for us to pull off, so that's what we're really proud of, but uh, we're really trying to get on that, get on that bestseller list, to get in front of, like, there's, like, Ted Cruz books on that thing, you know? There's a lot of, there's a lot of, so, anyway, check out the book, Democracy or Else. When does it launch? June 26th. Okay. But you can you can order right. it now. You can order it now. All right, pre-order. Is pre-order it. Thing. Pre-order it. It's called Democracy or Else. And you know what? It's gay too. All right. <laughs> much like me, much like I am, it's gayer than you'd expect. And if you are listening to this and you're panicked or worried about the election, go to votesaveamerica.com and sign up. Sign up. We will give you helpful, useful things you can do. If you're getting deluged by a lot of requests and information and fundraising emails and all the rest, we're kind of trying to give you a way to get involved that's kind of less overwhelming. So go to votesaveamerica.com. I'm there, darling, because you you nailed it. I am feeling so much anxiety and fear about 2024. We all are. Yeah. Darling, I have nothing else for you. I think I've gotten it all. Oh yeah, I think we I think we really got to the bottom of it. <laughs> okay. That was really great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope that's okay. Love it. Love it hyphen Favreau. Sure. Right. I did that. Mm-hmm. I, that was a Freudian. No, no, no. I just was I was literally just flagging so that you could pick it up. No, thank you so much. But you know, by the way, I do love him. He is one of the most interesting guys. Do you know that I had him on my TV show? 
in, you know, 2000. I, I didn't want to say this. I think you are confusing two John Favreau's. There are two different people. Oh, am I? There are two different oh, people. Uh, oh, oh no, I am. I, you are. I am. <sighs> oh my God, this is the best part. I can't wait. I'm talking about the fabulous actor, John Favreau. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, from direct, you're talking about the director of Iron Man. The director. A right. person yes, I've never met. Oh my God, this is amazing. Whoever the other John Favreau is, I love you're you. You're going to love him too. You would, you would like him. Like a mother loves a child. Sure, uh -huh. I love you unconditionally. <laughs> I apologize. I am so sorry. I feel so stupid. And I love I, that this happens I was, so much. I had I a feeling. I had a feeling this. the way you were talking about it. I was like, I'm going to let it go because I think he can get away with it. <laughs> I really well, did. Well, John, wait a second. Can I just tell you something? Like a couple of days ago when we booked this, or mm -hmm. two weeks ago, when we booked, I was like, "Oh, that's exciting!" You know, John loved it. I knew that. I, I love that. You know what? You didn't have to tell me that. I knew that too. Then, I knew that no, too. <laughs> Get some new names, All right. okay? Get a few. Oh yeah, new no, names. it's Get, it's our fault. Love it's it, our fault. Fun, why don't you? It is why don't you? Fault, why don't you spend darling? five minutes reading something before you come in here? I read everything there is to fucking read. <laughs> this is wow. good. This is good. Leave this in. Leave this in. Oh my god, this is amazing. I love this podcast so much. I love it. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you so much. Thank you. And hey, hey, keep your eyes peeled. You're about to see my ass as I walk out of the studio. That was a hell of a conversation with John Lovett. And I went into it wanting something from him, wanting to somehow bring about an intimacy and I think I succeeded in a way, but I also, I feel like I need more from him. I'm not exactly sure what I want from him. I think I might be slightly in love with him, okay? I swear to God. Each time I meet him, there's an elusive quality about him. He gives you just about enough as you need, and then he kind of completely pulls away, completely pulls back. It's very sexy. It can feel a little bit frustrating, but I am left in this kind of like, like a little delirium of attraction. I'm not kidding. I am a little deliriously in love with John Lovett. And you're all my witness. Thank you. So Isaac, were you pimping for yourself? Maybe just a little bit. <laughs> yes. Uh. <laughs> Don't tell Arnold. Don't tell Arnold on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Oh my. Please, darling, oh. please. Nothing could rend us asunder. Nothing could rent us asunder. <laughs> Darlings, if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and tell someone, tell a friend, tell your mother, tell your cousin, tell everyone you know, okay? And be sure to rate the show. I love rating stuff. Go on and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more people can hear about it. It makes such a gigantic difference and like it takes a second. So go on and do it. And if you want more fun content, videos and posts of all kinds, follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Hello Isaac Podcast. And by the way, check me out on Instagram and TikTok at I am Isaac Mizrahi. This is Isaac Mizrahi. Thank you. I love you. And I never thought I'd say this, but goodbye, Isaac. Hello, Isaac is produced by Imagine Audio, Awfully Nice, and I Am Entertainment for iHeartMedia. The series is hosted by me, Isaac Mizrahi. 
Hello, Isaac is produced by Robin Gelfenbein. The senior producers are Jesse Burton and John Asante. It is executive produced by Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, Cara Welker, and Nathan Clokey at Imagine Audio. Production management from Katie Hodges. Sound design and mixing by Cedric Wilson. Original music composed by Ben Walzer. A special thanks to Neil Phelps and Sarah Katanak at IM Entertainment. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.